Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, when we talk about love and things like that, which you might have kind of picked up on this in case you were not here Last week, we started a new series about love, which I'm going to get to in just a second. But when we talk about love, there's all sorts of facets of God's love. And, and today, I think we're going to take, take, take on another one of those that for a lot of us, um, it's, it's one of the amazing aspects of God's love. Not that they all aren't, but this one's really amazing. Um, you heard a minute ago about our son sports. This is our version of Vacation Bible School. It's centered around sports. But there are other things besides sports. We do arts and crafts and cheerleading and acting and all kinds of things. And I just want to give you kind of an update, even above the update, in that we had about over 400 different kids here sometime during that uh, four-day period. Uh, Average is about 350 kids every single night. 160 of you volunteered uh, on average every night. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you guys did to make that possible. You're, you're serving, your prayers, your giving, all of that. Thank you so much. It was absolutely wonderful. My wife uh, killed it. She did such a great job doing it, and she always does. But let me just tell you what God did in, because of all of that. Um, we, as I mentioned, we had a lot of kids here, but on the final night... Uh, Thursday night, they, they kind of, it it's leads up to this invitation time where it kind of comes to a climax about where these kids are with Jesus. And so we never put any pressure on kids, but we ask them questions. They're asked the last night, multiple choice. Hey, I'm, I'm really interested in making Jesus my Lord and Savior. I want to know more about that. That's one option. The second option, I've already done that. Third option is I'm not ready right now. Out of all those kids, 87 of those kids said, I'm interested in taking my next step in, in becoming a follower of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That is crazy. And if you're a parent of one of those kids, you've probably been contacted or you will be contacted. And um, let me just say this. On this Tuesday evening at 5.55 p.m., we do what's called a jam session, Jesus and me. If you're child has been asking spiritual questions or wants to know more, whether it's about what it means to start a relationship with Jesus, what it means to be baptized, any of those spiritual questions, I would encourage you to show up with your child, 5.55 p.m. this Tuesday night, and if you're one of those parents that says, well, my kid's too young, they may, may be, but if they're asking questions, at least explore that with them. You know, you're their parent. Lead them and guide them and give them the opportunities. They're, they're asking questions for a reason. The Spirit of God is starting to work in their hearts, and that's amazing. And we ought to celebrate that. So that's this Tuesday evening. Um, bring your kids. All right. Now, I want to kind of back quite a ways up, all right? The, this is the golden years for me. This is like 40 years ago, all right? So I... Yeah, it was a long time ago, all right? So let me give you the reference. My wife and I had uh, just, this was like we're getting ready to go on our first date. We've been married 38 years. So this is, we, we dated for a year and a half, 15 months, something like that. So right at the beginning of that phase, it just so happened that I would, I got rid of my vehicle and I was buying a brand new truck. And it was, um, I went to the Ford dealership and bought an F-150 four-wheel drive um, Ford. And the one that I wanted, they didn't have the right color or something or the options. So they had to order it from another dealership and they were going to bring it to the dealership where I was buying it. But it was going to take about a week or two weeks and there was a lag time that I did not have a vehicle. 
So there was a problem, and I'm way too cheap to rent a vehicle for that length of time, and so I considered my other options, and it just so happened my brother had, sold, uh, had, had just bought a new car, and he still had his other car yet to be sold, and he said, you're welcome to use my vehicle if you want, and um, it was, this to give you an idea what it was, it was called a Subaru Brat. Some of you don't even know what that is, so I want to give you a picture of a Subaru Brat. It's kind of a half car and a half truck, and in the back seat, actually the back tail, in the bed, there is two jump seats there. That uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting car, but that was what he let me drive. Now, here was the only stipulation. He said, you need to understand one thing. The reason I've got my new car and getting rid of that one is because the transmission is messed up. It does not have reverse. So I said, well, hey, um, I'll take my chances. Yes, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll drive that for a while. And again, it just so happened, I'm, 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 Liz and I are going on our first date, and I'm in the Subaru Brat. And I, what I figured out when I drove it for a couple of times before that date is that you have to be very strategic in how you park. If you, if you forget what you're doing and just pull in a parking spot and there's something in front of you, that means you've got to push it backwards. So um, I decided, all right, you have to really be calculated in how you do this. Now, I go out on my date with Liz and I'm really nervous, right? Because first of all, it's hard to be cool in a Subaru Brat. Secondly, I don't want, it's gonna be really uncool if I pull in a parking spot. In that moment, I get you know, kind of captivated by her beauty and pull in a spot. And then I realize, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. It's too late because I'm gonna have to say, um, would you mind helping me push this backwards? This is not gonna go anywhere in this relationship. So I was really concerned with that. And um, fortunately, I pulled it off. I did not park in anywhere that required us to, to push it backwards. Um, and uh, as I say, the rest is history. We end up getting married and all that. But, but the fact that it didn't have reverse caused me a lot of concern. Now, for the last 24 years at Foothill's existence, we have been ringing the same bell. And that we've been on a mission to help people find and follow Jesus. That is what we do. That is all that we do. Help people find and follow Jesus. And the word people, when we're helping people, that means everyone. We don't distinguish between one person and another. We believe that nobody is exempt from the love of God. And so we have a, we've used a lot of sayings around here. We say, bring your baggage, we'll help you unpack it. We don't care who you are, what you've done, who you've done it with. We're here to, to uh, you know, show you the love of God and share the gospel with you. And so God has been faithful over those 24 years, and thousands of people have come to know him. And, and when it comes to our mission, you might say, we don't have a reverse, like we're only going one direction, and our direction is to fulfill the Great Commission, to help people find and follow Jesus, to make disciples of all nations. That's what we're doing, and we have been doing that consistently for 24 years. And the reason that's so important is that not having a reverse is that keeps us focused on where we're going and, and the people we've yet to reach, and that's, that's what motivates us, and that's what, that's what uh, kind of propels us into that mission is the passion to see other people be found. So there's a, there's a um, word that we're going to be looking at today and the Bible uses, it's called lost. And lost, as far as the Bible is concerned, is a term used for people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're spiritually lost. I have made it a personal mission of mine to never forget what it felt like to be lost spiritually. Because it, was, uh, it wasn't until after Liz and I got married that I actually became a follower of Jesus, but up until that point, I was spiritually lost. I don't want to forget what that felt like. I don't want to forget what it felt like to not have peace and not have hope and not have fulfillment and not have purpose. 
and, and not have forgiveness. I don't, want, I don't want to forget that because if I forget that, then I'm going to lose the passion to move forward to reach other people for the, with a message of the gospel, mes- the gospel message. And that's what we're about. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, an aspect of the love of God that is, quite frankly, um, mind-blowing. And a second ago, we sang a song called The Reckless Love of God. I love this song. Many of you love the song because I think we get it when it's trying to say that God is, is doing whatever it takes to reach us in whatever state that we're at. But the term reckless, um, a lot of people struggled with. When that song came out, uh, they struggled with the fact that God's love could be reckless. I think I understand what the songwriters meant by that. But I also understand the other side of the coin because when we think of reckless, you think of like reckless driving. And the definition of reckless, listen, here's the definition of reckless. It is um, marked, something marked by the lack of proper caution or irresponsible. So technically speaking, God's love wouldn't be reckless. It wouldn't be irresponsible. God's love is just the opposite. It's very calculated. It's, it's, very, it's very directed, it's, it's very strategic, intentional, purposeful. That's the way that God loves us. So the word reckless love not, may not be the best word, but I think I've come up with a better word for the love of God we're going to look at today, and that's the illogical love of God. Illogical. It doesn't make sense. It's mind-blowing. We can't comprehend it in our, in our finite minds to understand the love of God. Think about this, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, who, who is you know, sits in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God sends his son Jesus to this earth, perfect, leaves the confines of heavens with angels adoring him, comes to this broken earth and, and lives a perfect life and goes to a cross and dies for us because of our sin and pays the price for us. That it does not make sense. It's illogical, but I'm very thankful for that love of God, aren't you? Aren't you thankful that God said, you know what, it may not make sense, but I love you enough to do something that's so crazy that you can't wrap your minds around. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. It said, in Romans 5, it says, but God showed his great love for us. Another translation said, God demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get right because we couldn't get right. That's the illogical love of God. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to just give you my bias right now. This is my favorite chapter in the Bible. And so if you've been at Foothills for any length of time, you've probably heard me at some point preach something from Luke chapter 15 because I love it. Because I think Luke 15, maybe more than any place in the Bible, any chapter in the Bible, um, displays and defines the love of God like nowhere else. Because it's a series of three stories or three parables. A parable was a type of teaching that Jesus would use. It was basically a story that he would would make up to illustrate a spiritual point. And in this chapter, he gives us three back to back to back examples of this illogical love of God. Again, does not compute as far as our minds are concerned. And he does it in, a, in the context of these religious leaders who approach him and they can't seem to understand how Jesus could love the misfits, the marginalized, the broken, the sinful, the bad people of this, this world. And in their minds, they could not wrap their minds around it. And for that reason, they struggled with it. And they questioned it. And Jesus, in response to those guys, 
decides to say, let me use this as a teachable moment. And he gives not one, not two, but three stories about the love of God, the illogical love of God. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at those stories, and then we'll come back and break them down a little bit. But this is a, these are three stories of lost things being found because of the illogical love of God. First, verse 1 says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. We'll pause right there for a moment. Tax collectors in that society were the worst of the worst. These were Jewish citizens who were working for the Roman government who was in charge of everything. And they were responsible for collecting tax from their fellow Jews, but they were allowed to, to uh, put a commission on top of that, a very, a very uh, costly commission on top of that. And the Jewish people knew that they had to pay it, but they knew that they didn't have an option, and therefore they hated the tax collectors. And here's what it says again. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Isn't that awesome that Jesus' audience were people that were notorious sinners like all of us. The Bible says we're all sinners. All right, some more notorious than others, I'll give you that, but still, we're all sinners. Now, here's what happens. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Oh, the shame, right? <laughs> Whoa, he's, he's eating with them. This is really bad, because in those days, when you ate with someone, that showed a sign that you were in a relationship of some sort. And these religious leaders hated the fact that Jesus was reaching out to these people. I'll explain more of that in a minute. Now, he goes into these stories. Teachable moment. Jesus told them this story. Here's story number one. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. Story number two. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Story number three, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his, his, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called, of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. 
and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, and now, but now he is found. So the party began. And what we see here are three stories of the illogical love of God. And I want to say as we get into this, guys, be thankful that God's love is so illogical. Because if it weren't for that, none of us would be here celebrating what Jesus did because it wouldn't have happened. But he loved us that much that he did it. So let me give you the three things here that I want to show you to make you, first of all, if there are going to be a couple types of people here today. There are going to be some of you, this message for you, you're one of the lost right here. You're spiritually lost. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Today could be your day to be found. Some of you are in the second category and that you're going to be like the third story here, the prodigal son. You, you used to walk with Jesus, but you've strayed off the path. You've done your own thing. You need to return home to your father. You need to repent and turn, return. Some of you, things are clicking pretty good, but this is a story to reignite the passion for other lost people out there. Now that you've been found, you need to help others be found. So let me give the first point of the illogical love of God. First of all, Jesus values people above their actions. He values people above their actions. This is good news. It's his love for us, his pursuit of us, his care for us, his grace for us is not based on our performance. It's not about what you do. God's love is consistent. It's always at 100%. The needle never moves. It is always 100%, and this is fantastic, but it's also illogical, because that simply means that it doesn't matter if we're good or we're bad, if we're religious or we're not religious, if we go to church or don't go to church, if we, if we're, if we volunteer our time to helping others or we don't, it doesn't even matter if I love God or I don't love God, he loves me just the same. I can't shake that. It's always there. It's always at 100%. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? I mean, that God would love me no matter what, which means, simply means this, that if, I'm, if I'm, I went to church on Sunday, God loved me a lot. Well, maybe Monday I blew it. God doesn't quite love me as much. No, it doesn't work that way. Always 100%. Now, I know the reason that we don't understand that because that's not how we work as humans, is it? The way that it works normally with us is that if you love me, I'll love you. If you don't love me, I probably won't love you. That's the way it works from a human standpoint. Now, that's not the way it's supposed to work as believers. We're, we're commanded to love people who, who hate us. But that's the way it normally works, right? So to hear that God's love is not based on performance, is not based on anything other than he's just loving. Like God doesn't love you because you're lovable because we're not lovable. We're unlovable. But God finds value in us and decides to love us, not because we're lovable, but because he's love. He is love. The Bible says he doesn't just love. He is love, and he's always that way. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't consequences. We make mistakes and all that, but he loves us. Last week, we started the series talking about his discipline. Even his discipline is a sign of his love. So God is all about love. This is hard, and it's really, really difficult to understand. When my son, my youngest son, was a little boy, he was about five years old, and he and my wife were having a conversation about the love of God. And as only a five-year-old can do, she's talking about how God loves us unconditional and doesn't matter what we do or don't do and all those kind of things. It's basically what I've been talking about. And she said he just was sitting. there, was laying there, actually. And you could see that his, the wheels were turning. And he's trying to somehow comprehend this love of God she's talking about. But it's not, it's not making sense. 
It's not making sense at all. And as only a five-year-old can do it, here's what he says to my wife. He says, it must be really hard to be God, knowing that so many people won't love you, but you, but you still love them anyway. It must be hard to be God. To know that you're going to pour yourself out, you're going to sacrifice your own son for the, for the sins of every person, and yet some are going to turn their backs and not love you back, but you still love them. It's not based on our performance. When you look at the stories that we saw in Luke chapter 15, it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It's made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associated with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus always had confrontations with these guys, not with the sinful people, not with the notorious sinners. Jesus interacted with them. They came to listen to him speak, not because he watered down a message to make them feel good about themselves, but because Jesus taught them truth, but he did it in love. He didn't preach at them. He preached to them, and, Jesus, and they knew that, and so they gravitated toward Jesus to hear this message that he had to deliver, even though it was convicting. Whereas you had the religious leaders, these guys who were supposed to represent God, and yet they were the most hypocritical of anybody because in their minds, it was them and everybody else. They were the insiders, everybody else was an outsider. They were good, everybody was bad. They were righteous, everybody else was unrighteous. That's how they looked at the world. So if you weren't one of them, you were, one, you were less than. And so when Jesus came and he started ministering to people that were broken, they had an issue with that. They couldn't understand it. It was illogical to them. And Jesus tells these stories in, in response to that. But this wasn't the first time he had a confrontation with these guys. It was always, they were always coming back to this point. Who does he think he is? If he was really the son of God, he would know better than to eat with these bad people. And yet Jesus gravitated toward the broken, toward the misfits, toward the down and outers, toward the outsiders. Jesus said he had a mission. I came to seek and save that which was lost. That's what he did. Thank God is what he did. In Mark chapter 2 is another example. Jesus is calling his disciples. He comes to a tax collector's booth. Again, there's the tax collector. Bad guys. And Jesus decides he's going to call Matthew or Levi is his other name. And here's what it says. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus to his dis and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Watch this. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Those were his buddies. I mean, that's who he hung around with. And he says, Jesus, will you come to my house with the party? And all these other people are there. But, well, let me give it's in parentheses, he said, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. They hung around him. Jesus hung around broken people. But when the teacher of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? They couldn't understand it, that Jesus would do this. And I'm going to tell you something, guys, here's the deal you need to understand. For 24 years since we began, there has been no reverse. We are going forward. We're reaching people for Jesus. We do not care where the, what they've done. We do not care. We don't care with how, you may be here with one of those people going, well, could God possibly love me? And I'm just telling you, there, there, God is always loving. And that's what we try to do as a church. We've always told people, just, just, we don't care what you've done. Bring those, that baggage and we'll help you unpack it. 
If you've ever been to the next class, which we've got one after this today, I tell you the story about how we started the church. And I said, my wife and I prayed this prayer. God, send us to people that nobody else wants and we'll build a church. And look what God has done. This is the mission of Jesus. This is the mission of our church. And we're not stopping. We're just getting started. There are many more people that need to be reached with a message of the gospel. Look, if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to thank God every single day for what he did to reach you. I mean, he came after you. You didn't come after him. He chased you down. And he, and he, he, he pursued you every step of the way. Second illogical thing is that God pursues us and loves us with reckless abandon. He pursues us and he loves us with reckless abandon. You know what I've learned about things that are lost? Is that the greater the value of the item that's lost, the more intense the search to find it is. Have you noticed that? The greater the value of the item that you lose, the more you search for it, the more intense you search for it. Anybody ever lost a wallet? Ever lost your wallet, your purse, anything like that? That's pretty serious. You're gonna, that becomes your priority because you know you've got cash, you've got credit cards, you've got an ID, all that stuff. You can't afford to lose your wallet. And so when you do something like that, it's like, okay, I gotta, nothing else matters at this moment. I've got to get my wallet. And you will do whatever you do to, have to do to find it because it's valuable and it requires an intense search. If you've ever lost a piece of jewelry or something sentimental, you're going to search for it because it matters. Or maybe you've lost a, a phone. If you've lost your phone, we can't live without our phones. We're going to try to find that thing. No matter what, we're going to find that phone. Um, I mean, we've got devices now that help us find our phone because we lose it so often. Have you ever lost yourself? You ever got lost somewhere? Pretty, pretty, pretty important to get out of there, isn't it? I mean, that becomes your priority. Okay, I better get, get I, I need to be found. Because the more valuable the item is, the more intense the search is. On the other hand, if you ever lost something that didn't really matter, you don't really care. Like you, you're like, oh, well, I hate to lose it, but no big deal. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Uh, great example, glasses. Um, I, I've got only, these are readers, all right? I can see good other than when I read. And then let's forget it. So I buy glasses um, by the dozens. Like I, I lose so many. How many of you ever lose your glasses? It's hard to find. And then the problem is if you don't have your glasses, you can't find them anyways because you can't see them. But here's the thing. I buy these things. I don't buy $100, $200, $300 pair of the glasses. I buy, I go to Amazon and I buy them like six at a time for like $30 because I know that I'm going to lose them. It's so bad. In fact, what I do, I've got three pairs in my truck right now. Not one. My wife said, why do you got so many pairs of glasses? Because I'm going to lose them. One at a time, I'll at least, I'll, somewhere I'm going to have them. It's so bad that I, um, that I lose my glasses so much that on the back of my phone, you can't see this, but I bought this thing that kind of sticks on the back of my phone, and it's an emergency set of glasses that you pull out. It's like this. See these things? So if I, look, if I, I know it's funny, but listen, when you're blind and you can't read something, you'll do whatever it takes because it's that important. But the, the fact of the matter, now I can't get them back in here. The fact of the matter is, because I can't see, I will leave them out there. But the fact is that when things matter, you're going to care and you're going to look for it. If I go golfing, same thing. I'm going to lose a dozen golf balls anytime I go golfing. I know it. So I'm not going to look that hard. I mean, I'm going to not hit it in the woods. I'm going to go over there, kick up some grass around a little bit, try to find it. If I can't find it, I go, okay, I got 11 more. I know I've got more. So I'm going to keep going, but it doesn't matter. But when something matters, you will stop what you're doing to find the lost item. 
The most valuable thing we ever lost, and I'm gonna say we, it wasn't really we, it was, it was my wife, but she lost my son. <laughs> yeah, she didn't do it on purpose, um, but here's the thing, that same, my son, the philosopher that I gave you the great quote for a minute ago, Cole, he was, he was an escape artist all of his life. Like at the time he was little, he was just, if you turned your back for one second, he was gone. We had him on a, one of those kid leashes that everybody hates. Hey, don't judge me. Listen, he, was, uh, he, had, he would run away. This was for his own good. We'd put it on his wrist. We'd hold on because he would, he'd be gone. So one time my wife has him. He's like two years old. She's going shopping. So she puts him in a stroller and she puts that seatbelt thing that snaps in. She's got it on because she knows he'll leave. So she puts him in that thing and he's just sitting there and she's going through the store and she stops and she looks through the racks and then goes a little farther and looks at a rack and she's doing this. And one time she parks the thing, looks at a rack, turns around and it's gone. Stroller's gone. So she freaks out. You can imagine. She freaks out. What's going on? She thinks somebody kidnapped our son. So she's running around a store calling his name and pretty soon everybody in the store is, is looking, they're on the search looking for my son. Nowhere to be found. So she thinks, uh-oh, whoever kidnapped him probably has got him already out toward the parking lot. I better get out there. So she runs out there and she sees something in the distance. Now I got the story wrong. She corrected me after the first service on this story. But she sees something in the distance and uh, it, it's looking really weird, but she thinks maybe. So she runs down there and there's my son. I said he headed toward the parking lot. She said, no, he's headed toward the escalator. Either way, a bad situation. He's running, and here's what he's done. He's still strapped in, but he's got his feet out, and he's pushing off like this down the road. He's got already through the store, out there, way down, and she's like, what? An so she gets him back there. She's relieved, of course, because she's found our son, but let me tell you something. The only thing that mattered to her at that moment was finding him. Nothing else mattered. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, where's my son? Oh, 50% off, let me go over here. No, she didn't do that. It was like, I'm going to find him. It's Amber Alert. Like, everybody help me because something super valuable to me is gone and I need help. That's what happened. That's what God does for us. Like, we're out there trying to get away. You know, we're, and God's like, no, no, I can outrun you. I can outrun you. I love you too much. You can try to run, but I'm gonna catch you. This is the love of God. And it does not make sense. Look at the scripture. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? We just sang that song, Reckless Love of God. It, it actually uses that, leave the 99. Listen, this is illogical. This does not make sense. I am not a shepherd, but I used to be in business, and I know that from a business standpoint, this does not make sense. It is totally illogical. You don't do this. Like if I was a shepherd, and that was my business, and I had, my inventory was 100 sheep, I just would understand that part of the cost of doing business is every now and then a sheep would wander off or he would die or a wolf would get him. It's just part of it. And I would write it off on my taxes the next year and move on. I wouldn't be that concerned because the other sheep would be having new sheep anyways and replacing it. It wouldn't be a big deal. But this shepherd doesn't do that. Does something that's totally illogical. The last thing that you would do is take the 99 that you've got here and put them at risk to go chase this one where I don't even know where he's at, but I'm gonna leave them in order to find this one. Because when I leave these 99, what's to say that some wolf won't come in there or they may wander off or they may die? if I leave them, but Jesus said, this is what this, and again, this is an illustration of the love of God. This is what happens. This is what God love is like. 
that he would leave 99 in order to chase the one. And the story says, and, and when he finds it, like there's this idea that he's not coming back without that sheep. There's no way. He's going to go until he finds that sheep. This is how he feels about you. This is how he feels about me. Like there's, there, there, I'm not going to stop pursuing you. And that's illogical. And then it says this. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it? Well, that makes a little more sense. But she's still got 90% of what she had, and yet she's going to make sure that she finds that coin no matter what. She's going to turn the house upside down in order to find that one coin, even though she's got nine left. That's the love of God. Doesn't make sense. But aren't you glad that God pursues you that way? That when you were spiritually lost, maybe you're here today and you are that lost one, and he is pursuing you. That's why you're here today. That's why he's giving you this message. He's telling you how much he loves you. Let me tell you something. The only thing that's worse than being lost, if you've ever been lost, you understand. The only thing worse than being lost is being lost and no one is looking for you. I hear stories about this all the time. You hear somebody, that, it's a nice afternoon. They live on the water. They take their boat. They don't tell anybody. They go out into the, into the ocean, and then the seas get rough, and then they're lost at sea, and nobody is looking for them because they don't even know that they're lost. That is a very, very bad feeling. Listen, God is very aware of your situation, and he is pursuing you. In 2 Timothy, it says this, the Lord is not slow in doing what he promised, the way some people understand slowness, but God is being patient with you. He does not any, want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and lives. Don't think God's, you know, just don't take for granted the fact that he hasn't returned yet. He's kind of, Jesus is coming back, but he's being patient with us so that more lost people can be found. I don't want to give you the last point. I've got to hurry up because I've gone too far. But anytime I talk about this stuff, I get so wound up because this is the heartbeat of our church. And it's, number three is this, heaven celebrates when we're found. And I'm going to summarize this last point. And that every time in this story, all three of these stories, there is one common denominator. Well, there are a couple common denominators. Something's lost, something's found, and there's a party to celebrate when it's found. That's it. Sheep found. Shepherd goes out, finds the lost sheep, carries him home, calls his friends, say, hey, let's throw a party. And then Jesus says, here's what it is. That's how it is in heaven. When one person repents of their sin, that's what heaven does. They stop doing what they're doing and they throw a party in response to lost things being found. And then he says, and then when the lady finds her coin, she calls her friends, says, I found my coin, come and celebrate. They throw a party. The, the dad whose son leaves comes back and he says, kill the fatted calf, let's throw a party. And um, my son that was, was lost is now found. That's what happens when lost things are found. Every single, I'm glad I'm a part of a church that makes heaven party all the time. Aren't you? Like every time someone's found spiritually, that I think, I can almost picture heaven like the angels got those party favors, you know that thing? And then they got cakes and, and the hats with the elastic bands. I don't know what they're doing. That's how it feels like to me. And every time someone says yes to Jesus, they, they light the candles and they, and they, they throw the party. Guys, it's It's awesome. That's all. And you may be the person today that they're waiting right now. They got ready. They got the, they got the, the matches. They're getting ready to light that cake in your honor. They're ready to blow that party favor. They're ready to, they're ready to they're say, yes, they're celebrating. You could be that person. You could be that person. 
So I want to pray as we close and, uh, and just remind you that, um, again, if you want to give your life to Jesus, that's, the, that's what you need to do right now. That, you're not here by accident. Number two, if you're a person who's wandered and you're like that prodigal son, you're coming back today, return to him. Next week's baptism. We're going to celebrate again next week. And if you haven't been baptized, that's your next step. So let's pray together. God, thank you that you never stop pursuing us. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, you never stop pursuing us. Even when we weren't looking for you, you were looking for us. Even when we didn't even know we were lost, you did, and you were pursuing us. So God, I thank you for that. And I'm praying for the people that are watching online, the people in this room, that right now your Holy Spirit is doing a work in their heart and they're sensing, this is my day. That I'm the lost item that you've been intently searching for. And I'm ready to say yes, I'm ready to be found. And if that's you, right now, maybe offer a prayer like this, Jesus, thank you for chasing after me, for never stopping in stopping in the pursuit of my soul that you cared about me that much. And today I place my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. I want the heavens to celebrate as I ask you to forgive my sins, come into my life, and make me a new creation. God, I pray for those who maybe have wandered from their faith. They're already believers, but they've been the prodigal son or daughter, and today they're returning. And if that's you, maybe offer a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I repent. I don't know how I got sidetracked, but I did, and I'm back. I'm coming back. Like that son, I'm coming back to my father, and I'm believing that there will be a party in heaven because of that. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for that love that doesn't make sense. The king of glory would die in our place. Wow. May you be honored. May you be glorified in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.